0: Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. From the words of Jesus Christ, in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. A little more than a decade ago, I was beginning my college studies at Texas A&M. There we go. I was was hoping that would get a couple of them. (laughs) As I was starting at A&M, I had an older brother who was finishing at UT. Thanksgivings were a lot of fun in the poly household for a couple of years, but it was actually Christmas. It was, it was the Christmas of my freshman year that things got a little messy. You see, my longhorn older brother, we'll just call his name Brian because that's his actual name. <laughs> Brian and I had a younger brother named Scott who was nine years old at the time. And without really saying it, Brian and I were something in a, in a competition. We both wanted our younger brother, Scott, to know, without a doubt, which university was better. So Christmas comes around. Christmas comes around and we're exchanging gifts by the tree in our pajamas and drinking coffee. And it's time for Scott to open his presents from Brian. As the little boys love opening presents, Scott was really excited. He excited. Throws off the bow, just destroys the wrapping, and lo and behold, it's a UT football. Mostly white, with some orange stitching and a nice longhorn logo on the side. And I'll never forget this. Scott looks at his present, he, he looks at it for about two seconds and then starts to cry. Total meltdown. I think Brother Mark won that round. <laughs> For those of us with brothers or or sisters, there's something (laughs) universal about sibling rivalry, for better or for worse. At its best, sibling competition can make us want to do better, can make us want to be better. But at its worst, sibling rivalry can cause deep divisions of family and broken relationships for those who are involved. Such as the nature of competition. In our gospel lesson today, We have a story about Jesus Christ and two sisters. Two sisters having a little sibling rivalry episode. The story of Mary and Martha is somewhat familiar among Christians, and for one reason or another, another, it often bothers people. Though it's a very short story, though it's seen only in Luke's gospel, this story just kind of bugs people. It kind of gets in their hearts and kind of tugs at their minds. One of the major interpretations of the story is to highlight the difference between the active Christian life and the contemplative Christian life. Usually, this story gives us a lesson that serving others and hospitality are good things, and certainly the Good Samaritan story we had last week shows that, but it's, it's better to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words. And while there is some truth to that, I think that if it's, just, if it's left there, it only increases the idea of competition, as if you can be an active Christian or a contemplative Christian. You must choose your side, and there's going to be some, some rivalry. There's going to be some fighting going on. Not only is that a, a false dichotomy, I think it's something somewhat unhealthy. The God who is love, the God we love and serve, is not a God of competition. That's a really beautiful thing about the Christian faith, that God is not in competition with his creation. He actually loves and wants to perfect his creation. This is remarkably different from all other religions and ideas. Think of all the other religions and philosophies and ideologies out there. A lot of them begin and depend on some great conflict Some violent episode, and certainly some competition between this life, some competition between who we are, this group of people, and the other, whatever the other may be. Not really so with Christianity. The Christian life is not about competition, but a cooperation, a participation in the perfect life, the divine life of Jesus Christ. This goes all the way back to the beginning. God, who is the very fullness of being itself, creates everything out of nothing. In the beginning, there is only God. There is no rival God here, no violent act, no great conflicts between God and something else. There is only the one God who is love. And he creates everything simply because he loves. Through this non-violence, non-competitive word, God gives rise to all of reality. Let there be light. And there was light. God is, is not in competition with his creation, but everything that exists is an expression of God's divine love. So the active and the contemplative life should not be seen as competition to one another, but they should complement each other. They are two sides of the same coin, they're not two different coins. So if we if we choose to see them not in competition, what can we say about the relationship between the active and the contemplative life? I think that in the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, listening has to come before acting. I think throughout the Bible, one of the basic principles is that listening has to come before acting. Now I'm not, I'm not knocking action, I'm not putting it down. It's just more of a chronological relationship. The trouble is that we act without attending to the word of God. In all the great figures of the Bible, there is there's a moment of listening. What is the Lord saying? Once we know what God is saying, then we're ready to act and ready to act in a way that cooperates with God's will. Let's think of Moses. Think of Moses at the burning bush, stopping, almost dead in his tracks, right? And he's listening to what the Lord is telling him. From there, he has his mission, and he's able to act. Think of the prophets, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, who all first listened to what God was speaking to them. Then they knew what to do. Think of the first apostles. Peter, Andrew, James, John, they spent three years listening to Jesus before they went on to continue his ministry. What gives us into trouble is that we act without listening, even when we have the best of intentions. Think of King David, the, the greatest king of the Hebrew people. He was going to build the temple, right? He was going to build God's dwelling place on earth. Certainly, that's among the best of intentions, right? But the prophet Nathan comes to David and says, no, no, you're not the one who's going to build the temple. And to David's great credit, he listens, and he acted by by not building the temple. His action followed from contemplation. Think of the apostle Paul before his conversion. Remember that Paul was a righteous guy. He was extremely zealous about the right teaching of Judaism. So he went around arresting people who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah and, and said that he had risen from the dead. He was acting before listening. And thanks be to God that Jesus didn't meet him on the road. I think it's a very important principle for us today. You know, we're, we're not a very contemplative society. We're, we're much more Martha-oriented. We're right at home with martha we like to be people that are busy and bustling and active. When somebody asks us how we're doing, most of us, most of us respond with, with some version of how busy we are. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I've been busy. i got this thing and that thing, and next week there's another thing. On and on and on and on, right? Action is great, but action without contemplation is problematic. Listen first. And then act. The active life and the contemplative life should not be seen in competition but in cooperation. But we have to get the order right. We have to stop and listen. Cool thing is, we're off to a great start this week just by being here. I'm sure almost all of us could think of something else we could be doing right now, whether it's sleeping in or grocery shopping, or going to the lake, or the golf course, some other activity that would keep us busy. One reason we come here, though, is to stop and to listen. This morning, we're a little more like Mary, listening to the Word of God. Have you ever wondered why we sit during the Bible readings? It's it's not just for comforts. We're simply following the Jewish tradition of disciples sitting at the feet of their Master to listen and to learn. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, so we sit to listen from the Master. Each Sunday we come here, we, we take on that, that merry mentality, even that merry activity of stopping and listening to the Lord. And of course, this carries over. For every day of the week. As it's been said, I come here on Sunday so I know how to live Monday through Saturday. Throughout the week, most of us get back to a, a Martha routine. We're busy with children, jobs, cleaning, other responsibilities of just everyday life. But let's not have our daily responsibilities compete with our call of following Jesus. Let's remember that Anxiety is not a virtue. Let's remember that busyness is the greatest obstacle of spiritual growth. And let's remember that we are to listen first, and then act. So I encourage us for the next week, or two, or three, to start each day by stopping. Wake up ten minutes earlier, when everything is relatively still and quiet, and read one chapter of the Bible. We've been reading Luke on Sunday morning, so that book makes sense. But you can choose any book you'd like. Read one chapter in the morning. Spend just a couple minutes listening in silence. And then you'll be ready to act that day. To God we give the glory, now and forever. Amen.